The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome one and all to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here as we roll on into the month of January and dig in on basketball coverage here on Black and Gold Banneret. We do have some football stuff that's up there, but we're all in on hoops now uh, as we get as we get in. And now the conference plays underway. Um there's a finally a crisp in the air out here in Central Florida, boys, but um, but so far, it's been UCF men's basketball and women's basketball that are the hottest, two of the hottest teams of the nation. Yes. Uh, another bad I, transition. I, I love it. Can we keep this? Don't cut this. No, I'm not cutting every it. Sing, every single time Jeff intros the first topic, it's the worst transition. I, got, I can't do this. I should have been, I, you know, I used to be good at this on television. I just can't do segues. It's just, it's just not good. Uh, we are blackandcoldbanner.com. We're SB Nation's home for UCF uh, sports. Uh, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. You can follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Spokes underscore Murphy, and Eric Lopez Elo. We have a guest on the show, Taylor Young from the UCF uh, men's basketball radio broadcast team, joins us to talk UCF hoops and talk about the American in general. Um, And there is lots to talk about. We will actually start with men's basketball here as the Knights... uh, Wow, have won uh, six in a row and are 2-0 and to start conference play. Got that five-point win over Temple uh, last Wednesday uh, at home in a game that was a little shaky there at times a little bit, but they managed to take care of business against, you know, what is a, a, usually a pretty, uh, pretty game Temple team. And then they go up to UConn on Saturday the 5th and just suffocate UConn by 12, and the Knights get their first win in uh ever at UConn Eric Lopez you were going to say something that may or may not have well, been Well you're kind of shortchanging that Temple win. I think that's a huge win because I mean I think Temple's probably going to be an NCAA tournament team and they just knocked off Houston. That's on right. Yeah, night. They they just did so, knock off Houston. We're actually recording this on Wednesday night. They knocked them off just a few moments ago and if yeah. you wanted to follow our friends uh from Houston uh the uh, Scott and Holman podcast uh they have a they had a slight meltdown on Twitter earlier today about that, about how that game ended up. <laughs> it was the right call. It was a charging call, and it was actually the right call. I, mean, but, you know, I think so. I can I see why that. they're upset, though. But anyway. But the bottom line is Temple's a really good team, and the, that's going to help UCF out big time on the resume with that win. And that was a well-played game. And then you met, you know, you mentioned the UConn win. I know UConn is in a kind of a transition mode with Danny Hurley as the new head coach. and things like that but just to get a win up there for the first time ever was significant uh for this team and for Aubrey Dawkins who just put on a show in that game uh it's fantastic to be up to a 2-0 start because you know look I mean this league is much improved and you don't want to dig yourself a hole in this league so now all of a sudden with Temple knocking off Houston I know it's early but UCF now one of the few uh you know undefeated they're ahead of Houston at least if you believe that Houston's the best team in the conference or at least the biggest threat to UCF so uh Real positive, real positive at the 2-0 and start. Do not shortchange that Temple win. I think that was huge. And don't shortchange that Alabama win, by the way, who knocked off Kentucky over the weekend. 
Yeah, conference. Uh, uh, Aubrey Dawkins was named conference player uh, of the week in the wake of that pretty workmanlike double-figure performance that he put up um, against uh, the UConn Huskies. Um, in that game up in Soros, you know, B.J. Taylor did not have a very good game, uh, Brian Murphy, 2-for-7, although he was 7-12 at the line, 12 points. But uh, Aubrey was uh, spectacular, 9-of-13 for 23 points, 4 rebounds. Uh, also picked up an assist as a nice shot, 57% in that game, 61% in the first half. And, you know, t- down... Toward the down the stretch of that game, you know, I, I thought that things kind of slowed down offensively a little bit for the Knights. This game, and they still won by twelve. That game could have been a lot worse uh, for uh, for UConn than it ended up being. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned that they did it sort of without BJ. You know, BJ hit that one. Th- he he really hit the. I, I would say the dagger of the game. He had a, he had, his one big basket was a dagger three with a few minutes to go they put the Knights up by I think it was like 9 or 11 um, other than that it wasn't great but yeah Aubrey again I, I gotta look at the stats on this with, with Aubrey in the second half of games he has a thing where he just comes alive in the second half and it's happened now at least 5 or 6 times where he really carries his offense for stretches I believe he had 16 points in the second half of that UConn game and you know it just it's just him creating his own shot right he's coming off of screens and he's getting open and, and he's just moving and moving and moving and then he really has these shots from like the free throw line extended area where he has like this natural fall away that's unguardable and it's very silky smooth I mean he's a, he's just a pretty he's a pretty shooter he's a very he's very attractive looking shooter uh, and then when you get that offense mixed in with that defense that I would say I don't know if it's as good as last year's defense overall but uh, because of the, the lineups they can bring out, they can take Taco out of the game and bring in Colin Smith or bring in Chad Brown, and they can go small and play with more up-tempo teams like UConn is, it makes them more versatile on defense. I think you saw that in the second half against the Huskies. So they have the offense with guys like Aubrey and BJ and, and Taco putting in some points, but really the defense uh, is still where this team's going to hang its hat and overall uh, is going to win them the majority of their games. And I think it was good to see them beat a team uh, like UConn that can push the pace and get the Knights out of the rhythm in which they want to play the game, which is, you know, very half-courtish. And and they did a really good job of that. And I think it's because they can play small. Taco did not have a good game against UConn. He's probably not going to have a good game when they play Memphis later this year because that's the type of team that can really frustrate him with their athleticism. But this team is more built, well, more, is is more well-built to deal with those kind of athletic teams now. Interestingly enough, as we look at, I, I I wanted to get everybody kind of caught up on men's basketball. We'll talk about this with Taylor Young later, but like it, it, now that football's over, it seems like all of a sudden now everyone in UCF land from the fans' perspective now kind of suddenly you know makes the makes the pivot to basketball, right? Which is unfortunate, and I think Taylor is right about that, as we'll hear. Um, you know, because this team has actually been playing. Really well. You mentioned the defense. They're right now 24th in the country in scoring defense, averaging, giving up just 63 points a game. Uh, and what I think is actually really impressive is they're 13th in the country in field goal percentage allowed. Teams shoot mm-hmm. only 38%, while the Knights themselves are shooting 49.1%, and that's 24th in the country. Um, so they're so they're they're harassing other team shots, which when you have a guy like Taco Fall, that's only that's only natural. But 
that's not the only reason why they allow such a low field goal percentage. And then on top of that, you know, they've been shooting quite well um, themselves. And, and and I think the results have borne that out, particularly in conference play. Where I, And I was, again, impressed with, you know, what they were able to do against UConn, where they just kind of they just kind of stomped on it, stepped on UConn and just didn't let them up. It wasn't well, pretty, but they but they suffocated them. Yeah, you see, UConn's a guard oriented team, right? Especially they lost their big post player coming into that game, so they were even more guard oriented, uh, especially heading into that UCF game. And you know, Christian Vital got loose uh, for some for some baskets in the first half, and he really he really carried the UConn offense. But other than that, they they uh, excuse me, it was it was uh, Alter Gilbert who had a good first half against UConn, and then Vital had some shots in the second half. It was really Gilbert, I think, had a big first half. But they they really did a good job on Jalen Adams, who's supposed to be their star their star player. And Vital was noticeably frustrated and taken out of his game when Yusuf started to pull away and the defense started to clamp in a little more. Uh, Gilbert was not nearly as good in the second half, I think. And again, with guys like Taylor, who I think because he's such a, a big shot maker. His defense is kind of overlooked, but BJ's really strong on defense. Aubrey is obviously really long. He can switch out different positions. And you've got guys like uh, Terrell Allen, who's a defensive first kind of guy. They, they can, they can, they're pretty good at guarding back courts now. I mean, certainly Taco helps you in the post, at least altering shots. But against guard-oriented lineups, they've got some defenders out there that can really hold you down. And then again, this the, the, Johnny Dawkins teaches defense. He's, he he wants his team to be based around defense. Um, but these players not only buy in, they're they're quite talented at it. Like, they're rawly talented at it, and I think you saw that in that game. Yeah, so when you're st- – obviously you have to be happy with 12-2 and and a 2-0 start in conference. As we look around um, the American right now, they're heading for the stretch where eight days off between the UConn game and then their next home game Sunday, January 13th, 4 p.m. against ECU, which you never see in conference. But – They've got this difficult stretch coming up with five games in two weeks uh, against ECU at Wichita State in a game that's scheduled to start at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Ugh. Uh, Saturday, uh, Saturday, January 19th at noon against Tulsa at home at Tulane Wednesday and uh, Wednesday after that, and then at Memphis the following Sunday. Uh, this is going to be this is going to start to be a pretty tough stretch, even though some of these teams that they're playing against may not be you know high up. On the uh, high up on the American standings, at least as of right now, still some tough places where they have to play, and and the fact that they're playing this many games in such a short period of time is probably going to be a pretty is is a t- is a pretty tough ask here, no? Yeah, a little bit. I think it's actually more interesting to see how this team plays on Sunday, just because not only have they had eight days off, but if you want to go back to before the new year, they've actually only played twice. Uh, since the winter break. That's right. Which was like, I think, like December 21st. Yeah, December 21st, um, they played that game against Illinois State, and then they didn't play again until January 2nd, which right. was the Temple they've only game. Played, they've only played twice since December 21st, which is sort of, I know every team sort of has that, that winter break in there, but it is a, it is a weird scheduling quirk. Um, I want to say that we kind of respond to that all this time off. And then more to your point of, you know, yes, those teams are not uh, the top of the conference. Really, the conference has to this point, situated itself where the top three teams are in some order, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston. Again, that doesn't need to be one, two, three. It can be whatever order you want it. But those are the three teams that are that are at the top, and then everyone else sort of breaks down from that. But at Wichita State, it's always going to be tough. 
Uh, they're, they are totally rebuilding. Uh, they are not nearly as good as they have been the past five, six years, but it's still a really tough trip all the time. And obviously at Memphis, with what Penny is already building there, and you can kind of see even this, even now in his first year how good they're going to be down the road, uh, that's going to be really tough. If I'm a UCF fan, I'm looking at these next two weeks, if UCF can get out of these five-game stretch going 4-1, and one, uh, win those home games, and then split on the road, uh, you'd be really, really pleased. Well, right now UCF is one of only two teams with an unblemished record in the American. Uh, UCF is 2-0. SMU is 2-0, but they're 10-4 overall. UCF 12-2 overall. We mentioned Houston finally suffered their first loss of the season at Temple in a very close, hotly contested game. Uh, they're 2-1 with uh, alongside Temple and USF. The Cougars now standing at 15-1 overall, but now I'm looking at this. Let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Seven teams with at least 10 wins right now. Two games into conference play. Uh, and then Memphis is right there at 9-6, and six, as is UConn. Interestingly enough, UConn's off to an 0-2 start in the conference, uh, despite a 9-6 and six, uh, overall start. So, Eric, this goes back to what you were saying before, is that this conference is much better than people think this year, and it remains to be seen yet uh, to what extent that will translate into extra bids come tournament time. Yeah, I mean, I think... Right now, it's rated as the sixth best conference. Now, you might say, well, that's the big deal about that. In college basketball, that's a big deal because the Big East is a power in college basketball. So, you know, the Amer- you know you're chasing down the Big Ten, the Big uh, the Big Twelve, the ACC, the Big East, the SEC, the Pac-12, and all that. Well, the Americans better than the Pac-12. Ever since Murph left the West Coast to come down back to Orlando, the Pac-12 has gone <laughs> down south in basketball. <laughs> To the point where they're talking about a one-bid Pac-12 bid this year. Um, a lot of things are better than the Pac-12 this year in basketball. You cannot understand. Cannot a lot understand. of things are better than the Pac-12 in a lot of sports this year. But anyway. <laughs> Correct, which is funny how that does kind of under the radar. Everybody talks about conferences in the future of the leagues. Uh, how about the future of the Pac-12? But that's a story for another podcast. The American, you know, I remember we I talked to Mike Oresco when he was here for the football game against Cincinnati. And, he kind of downplayed the league. He's like, you know, I think we'll be good, but we are, we're really going to be really strong in a year or two. He felt there was a year of transition. Well, you look at this league, and Murph, I agree with Murph. I think Houston, UCF, Cincinnati, despite the loss to East Carolina, I would even – I think Temple has a chance to be right in that fourth team right there as a mix yeah. right now for that. Um, the big difference is you look at teams at the bottom. Like South Florida is much improved with Brian Gregory. They've already got two conference wins. They were one shot away from being 3-0, and beating uh, – lost at the buzzer against Tulsa on the road. They're much improved. Uh, Murph mentioned it. I mean, Wichita State's not going to be an easy place. They're in a rebuilding mode, but they're going to be a tough out. Um, this league, top to, I think, is better now from a top-to-bottom standpoint. So I think a game like East Carolina, the next game, uh, coach Dooley is the first-year head coach for East Carolina coming over from Florida Gulf because they just knocked off Cincinnati. So do not sleep on this game. You cannot afford to have those losses that you look back in March and say, man, I, I wish we, wish we would have had that back because that could be the difference between the conference championship or dropping to a four seed. It could be the difference between making the NCAAs and being on the outside looking in. Yeah, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that ECU game coming up. Because of the fact this is this game is going to be on ESPNU, by the way, on Sunday, you want to kind of close out this that that one home game against a team that you can kind of yep. kick while they're down a little bit before you make that tough trip out to Wichita State. Something about that just doesn't 
something about that game already doesn't feel right. Midweek, 10 p.m. Eastern time tip at Wichita. <laughs> that place just, I don't know. Podcast friendly. No, no, it's not. Are we going to have to wait for that? Unbelievable. Maybe we'll have to record earlier. But, um, yeah, and then you come back home for Tulsa. So, um, I don't know. There's something about that that game that, that doesn't – something doesn't feel right to me, Lois. Something doesn't feel right to me. Um, it's a tough trip. It's always a tough yeah, trip. I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I don't care how I don't care what what Wichita State is, uh, if they're good or bad or whatever. It's a, it's a tough place to play. Period. Yeah, I want to talk about the net ratings right now because Eric, I know how much you love that. Um, yeah. Well, Houston came into tonight fourth in the net ratings. Um, Virginia one, Duke two, Michigan three. Um, they're probably going to fall after the loss to uh, Temple. UCF is the second highest American Athletic Conference team in the net ratings at thirty three. Cincinnati's at 35, Temple's at 60. Um, if they're going to use this as their guide for the NCAA tournament seedings and who get and who gets whose bubble bursts and who stays afloat, do we like where UCF is right now at 33, and do they have an opportunity perhaps to you know potentially move that up once they actually do get around to playing? Um, the likes of Houston, for example, and then also uh, Cincinnati, at least at this point. Yeah, and, and look, the Temple number is going to go up, because, or lower, however you want to phrase it. <laughs> well, they're going to move up in the rankings, yeah. Uh-huh. Right, they're going to move up. So they're going to look, they're gonna, it's going to look better after they beat Houston. Uh, I don't know where Alabama is, for example, in those ratings, but that's going to, that's probably improved since the win against Kentucky. So it's early, still early to look at those numbers. But I, you know, I, I kind of treat it like the RPI. If you're in the 20s and the 30s, you're in great shape to make the tournament. If you're in the 40s, you're probably in the bubble. So that, that, again, though, you've got to avoid some bad losses in this league and the quote-unquote bad losses. And that could be a, a, you know, home game against East Carolina would qualify. You yeah. have to protect your home court because you guys have brought it up. I mean, Wichita State's not going to be easy. At Memphis is not going to be easy. I mean, you got some tough road trips in this league. You're going to probably drop a couple of those. You cannot afford to drop a home game. And, you know, Sunday, 4 o'clock game, that smells like a trap game. Now, you're not if you're not careful, I wouldn't be shocked if you're not careful that that's a one or two possession game down with the, in the four, under four timeout in the game. Uh, Alabama. I don't know. I don't know. I don't oh, go, know if it's a trap game. Sorry, you want to go ahead? No, I was, I was just going to fill in that Alabama is uh, 54th in the net rankings. But go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I do think it's too early to really put much stock into those. Houston's not the fourth best team, and whatever else they drop to after this loss, they're not that. They're not that team either. They're good. They're not <laughs> top ten, uh, fifteen. Uh, but uh, that was yeah, e- I, I don't an know evil it, laugh. That was an evil maniacal laugh, Lopez. Anyway, is, that, is that is that is that what that was? Yeah, so what that was. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know if there's a trap game only because they've had so much time off that uh, if you get caught off guard, like if you get caught overlooking this game after uh, you know a week off, uh, I, I would think a trap game comes you know after Maybe. like just after you've had like this big win. Like if they go beat, if they go win at Memphis, whoever they play next, whether it's on home or on the road, that's a trap game. That's like that's home for U- that's home for UConn, by the way. They they're okay, at then, Memphis then Sunday that, the twenty seventh, then they're at UConn the following Thursday. Or excuse that, me, home that, for UConn. I'm sorry. That that, that might be targeting because UConn is probably going to be really spotty this year. They're already looking not great, and maybe they come into that record with with something under 500 in the league, and you've already beaten them once by double digits. And so you know, you look at that game and you go, "Well, we could beat them again." And look at this win we just had on the road against Memphis. Uh, that could be a trap game, but they've had so much time off. And, right, and maybe maybe not. Maybe, maybe trap's not the word, but maybe you know, it's one of those where you you haven't played in a week. 
you kind of come out a little, you know, a little rusty. Maybe, maybe. next maybe thing you know, you're different. down to eight. Maybe it'd be different if ECU just didn't beat the arguably best team in the conference. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, what we do know right now is that UCF doesn't have to play anyone in the top six in the league, which is Cincinnati, USF, Temple, Houston, SMU. Uh, Cincinnati, UCF, Temple, Houston, SMU. Until, um, until they play Houston in February 7th. Yeah, so and, all backloaded. Yeah, it's it's a backloaded schedule. At least as of right now, now we don't know what the ske- what the standings are going to look like by the time that, that that comes around. I mean, you know, we could see uh, a Memphis or uh, or a UConn like suddenly get hot, but um, or, or at least by that point. But you know, there's that stretch we have: Houston, SMU, South Florida. This is to start Feb- start February, starting February seventh. They go Houston, uh, home for Houston at SMU, home for South Florida, home for Memphis. At Cincy, home for SMU, at Florida, at Houston, home for Cincy. And that stretch is starting to look really brutal as they head into March. And it's the month of February, man. That's going to be that's going to be a blast furnace for this team. And if they can get yeah, through that yeah. point, I, I think that that's when you can start thinking, OK, what are we really going to have here as we head into March? And then, you know, you don't want to get way too far down the road here, but then you hope they have something after all that. You hope they have something left for the conference tournament. Because those games, especially against Houston, Cincinnati, which are slow-paced teams, Cincinnati is so physical, and they just kind of want to pound you. That wears on you. And so you got to make sure that not only you you win the majority of those games, but that, you know, by the way, we still have this this tournament that we want to go win, you know, possibly three games in three days or four games in four days. uh, and, And hopefully you have something... To win that tournament, so it, that's a that's a that's gonna be an amazing month of basketball. Yeah. All right. So, um, so what we'll do is we'll, well, again, ECU on Sunday at four p.m. Uh, that game is on ESPNU. Wednesday, January sixteenth, ten p.m. at Wichita State, CBS Sports Network for that game. Uh, those are the next two that we'll have until our um, next podcast. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to break all this down with Taylor Young from uh, uh, UCF uh, men's basketball radio crew. We'll also catch you up on women's basketball, who's having a pretty good start to their year, and uh, a few bits of football news as well. Stick around. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, and we're back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So, if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. 
So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with the Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trace Trolko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here and joining us now, former UCF guard, and the radio analyst for UCF men's basketball right now on 96.9 The Game, UCF Knights Radio Network. Taylor Young joining us once again here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We were just talking off air, T.Y., that um, UCF is undefeated since the last time you were on the show about a month ago, so it's a pretty good streak right now, isn't it? <laughs> we'll, we'll take it, and We'll take anything we can get, but yeah, they're looking good. I've, I've enjoyed watching them for sure. So... Let's get. Uh, there's probably a lot of people listening to the podcast who are diving back into basketball. First of all, if you're just joining us for you know, for for now, first of all, where the hell have you been, fans? But um, they're just kind of diving into men's basketball right now. So the Knights are at twelve and two, two and zero in the American, um, and so far in these first two in conference wins against Temple by five and Temple's always a team that just for some reason man they get up to play us and then at UConn um, a win by 12 uh, at the XL Center for the first time ever um, in the if I'm not mistaken in school history UCF got the win uh, gets a win at UConn Um, Danny Hurley obviously running through some trouble you know trying to get everybody on board with his system I'm sure they'll work it out at some point but 2-0 2-0 start to conference play. Can't complain too much, right? You know, it's fantastic. And, you know, when you make the transition from that pre-conference schedule uh, and then you have the holidays and, you know, maybe you're playing some opponents that, you know, some good opponents, but but not necessarily up to American conference standards. And, and then you move into conference into new year and there are teams that know you really well. And Temple – uh, is a team like you mentioned. They're just they're always solid. Um, they're well coached. Uh, they have really good guard play, and that's a recipe uh, in the American and really around the country that that can put you in any game. And they always defend. So um, you know that that momentum early in a conference season uh, is super important. Um, UConn, huge win, right? You mentioned it. First time we've ever won there. I played there. It's it's, it's a tough place to tough place to win it's cold i mean it's january in, in hartford connecticut right so i mean it's it's not as pleasant for a florida guy to, to get up and warm up for something like that so 
Um, I thought they looked really, really good. And, and, you know, I think the biggest thing too is, you know, you talk about over New Year's and hopefully everyone listened, watched that football game and, and just what a run football's had and, and how proud the school is of the football team and, and rightfully so. Um, but, but it's always been for UCF, basketball specifically, is that when people, you know, get done with football, um, do you have enough recognition, enough momentum to turn people's heads and get them come out to the CFE arena? And I think they have that right now. Aubrey Dawkins was just named the uh, conference player of the week for his performance um, up in stores. He was 9 of 13, 23 points, 4 rebounds uh, in the night's win. I felt almost like it was, you know, it, it, almost like a relatively like workmanlike 23 points. There was, wasn't anything overly spectacular. All of a sudden you look up, he's the night's leading scorer. How's he settled in now that he's had the full, you know, 14 games under his belt? We're basically halfway through the season. Um, it, from what you've been able to glean about Aubrey, how's he settled into the offensive system now? Yeah, you know, I wasn't in, in uh, Connecticut, but, but man, I, I watched it with a former player, Adam Gill, a little bit older than me, and we watched it in my house, and, and we both looked at each other, the couple of the shots that he hit um, coming off screens that you're just like, wow. Um, this is this is his film for the next level to watch this and see what he can do. But I, I think the biggest thing is comfort and just confidence and, and chemistry among his teammates. You know, we talk about a lot of new faces as far as game speed and, and playing together this year uh, with the injuries over the last few years and, and then Aubrey and Colin uh, coming in and um, being big impact players. I think you're starting to see those guys settle in. And I go from the first game Aubrey played you know, after sitting out two years, you you just naturally you have that excitement, that anxious competitiveness that you want to play well. And for him as a three point shooter, um, he didn't shoot it like he wanted to the first couple games. Well, now you're seeing how lethal of a shooter uh, he is. And you, you said it best. I mean, he makes 23 look easy, and, and that's a 23 that's almost done all from the field. He's not a guy that gets the foul line a ton. Um, and he just he makes really, really tough shots look easy. It's pretty fun to watch. Taylor, I thought the thing that uh, too was impressive was, you know, Ty, you know BJ didn't have a, his typical game. He was only two of seven from the floor in that game. But Dawkins took over that game after the, the seniors, Taco and BJ, took over the Temple game. And could you see that, I think, as the pattern now is that we have multiple options. If one guy is not clicking that the other guy can step up and kind of carry the load for the specific night, which quite honestly, we haven't had that in a while here. Yeah, agreed. I, I think the biggest thing I think about is it's just so hard to defend, right? So like if you're scouting UCF in the last couple of years, you say, okay, look, let's shut down BJ and let's double taco and make it tough on him. We'll foul him when he gets deep and when it gets late. Um, you know, the scouting reports, it's pretty simple now. You know, BJ and some other guys have had incredible games um, to make their, the run they did a few years back, uh, specifically at, at Illinois State on the road and some other performances that you just scratch your head. But from scouting and preparing for UCF now, uh, it's tough. You know, you got a guy like BJ who can do just about anything. He can come off screens. He can score inside, outside, and, and he can distribute it. Um, you have Aubrey Dawkins that can just about make any shot on the floor. Um great slasher offensive rebounder and then you have taco colin smith that can both sport, score with their back to the basket so uh, and then of course you have terrell allen that's that, that's running sh- the running the show and doing an unbelievable job at point guard that i don't think enough people talk about him and the recognition he deserves just his assisted turnover ratio his ability to defend and bring energy 
enthusiasm and leadership each game. So I, I really do feel that the chemistry is there, the depth is there, and now we're starting to see it come out uh, two games into the conference season. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that with Terrell Allen because I, I thought that you know s- this entire season that was the most genius move that Johnny Dawkins has made is moving BJ basically over to the two where he's kind of like a one and a half almost where um, especially late in games where he gets the ball but to have Terrell and BJ out there for most of the game I think has just been uh, a real boost to this team when when you have big you know the big guys like Taco and Colin out there and sometimes when you see Chad Brown come in as well say if Taco gets into foul trouble or if Colin gets into foul trouble, we've seen a couple times, but um, how much of a benefit is it to have two guys who can handle the ball with that ability? Because, you know, back when you played, you know, it's something similar. I mean, you would, it it was something a lot similar where you guys seem to have two really good ball handlers on the floor at uh, pretty much the same time as well. Yeah. Yeah. In those days you think about, you know, say a Marcus Jordan or a Rumsa and myself, and you just always had those ball handlers. I mean, it does a lot um, as far as confidence, especially when a team is, you know, they come out and press you, they'll pick you up full court, um, and you're able to kind of break that, no big deal. But, um, yeah, the, the coaching move um, by Johnny Dawkins, I, I thought, yeah, I mean, subtlety, just a great, great move. I think the biggest thing is you have a defined role. And I think if you look at BJ's strengths, um, he's got an ability to create, create for himself, um, and and he goes and he gets fouled. So he's the guy that you want the ball in his hand late in the shot clock, and then Terrell Allen um, facilitates. You know, so you know the biggest thing is with the difference between the one and the two is is a big difference. You know, play both positions, and when you go from playing a point guard all your life to playing the two guard. No offense to the two guards around there, but it, 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 gosh, it just comes a lot easier. You don't have to get people in offense as much. You don't have to handle the rock like the majority of the shot clock if things aren't going right. So what Terrell Allen does is, is he initiates the offense and he gets it gets it moving. So it's tougher to guard. It goes side to side. It goes inside out rather than you don't see a lot of possessions that somebody's just dribbling at the top, coming to get a ball screen and hoping to score and make a play late in the shot clock. And I think. Because of that, it makes them tougher to guard, and, and they have to honor uh, just about everyone on the floor. You know, uh, Taylor, you were a 77% career free throw shooter, so you uh, know any, everything about free throw shooting. I know a lot of fans concerned about the team's free throw shooting, uh, you know, letting teams back in like the Temple game, shooting 63% for the season. But the thing that kind of has jumped out at me, that I don't know if people have talked about this, and Mike Krzyzewski, who Coach Dawkins obviously played for and uh, coached for, used to say that he learned from Bob Knight that the free throw battle, if his team uh, made more free throws than his opponent attempted, they feel that they were going to win that game. And I feel like UCF has been doing that this year. They've dominated the free throw line as far as they've, you know, in both games against Temple and UConn, they made more free throws than the other team attempted. For the season, they have made more free throws UCF than their teams have even attempted. Uh, just talk about the free throw battle there. I know fans are concerned about the free throw shooting. You can comment on that, but I've been quietly impressed how UCF's kind of dominating the free throw line, where they're they're not they're making sure the other team's not getting to the free throw line as much, and they're getting to the free throw line a lot. Yeah, that that's a great statistic and background, Eric. And and you know when I look at that, when you go into a game, you can tell how aggressive um, or how a team imposes their will on another by how many times they get to the free throw line. 
and UCF's done that well. Um, you know, we, we used to talk about getting paint touches, you know, putting pressure on the defense. And obviously Taco Fall being such a weapon, he just demands so much attention. Um, so, you know, that just goes to, to their aggression and how much pressure they put on other defenses. And, yeah, I mean, look, the free throw line is something that they have improved, I feel like, from years past. Um, Taco's obviously got his work cut out and has been working on that diligently and hasn't necessarily solved the riddle, although we've seen improvement at times. Um, and I think that's a decision that Coach Dawkins is going to have to consistently make in late-game late, late game situation, close games. You know, can you have them on the floor? Um, you know, the other guys, I, I feel like they're, they're – they're, they're solid shooters. You know, uh, Aubrey obviously looks like he's never going to miss a free throw. Uh, Terrell Allen, B.J. Taylor, solid. Colin Smith, you know, he's got a little bit of a rainbow shot, but you've seen, you know, him all net a few and, and really get it going in rhythm. So I think that will improve. I think the biggest thing is just the taco factor late and how Coach Stockings handles that in some of these situations. I wanted to ask you about the schedule coming up because right now the team is in this eight-day break, which is rare in conference play. I mean, you never see teams get, you know, more than a week off, you know, but um, then they're going to really kick it up here, starting on Sunday at home against ECU. Then you got to make that long trip out to Wichita on uh, Wednesday, January 16th for a 10 p.m. Eastern tip out there. My goodness. Um, uh, And then then home for Tulsa and then at Tulane on the 19th and the 23rd. So that's four games – in 10 days and that's leading up to the trip to Memphis uh, on uh, Sunday, January 27th, four days after that Tulane. So um, now I know that some of these teams have not gotten off to pretty good starts. For example, Wichita's 0-2 in conference. So is Tulane to start out. ECU's 1-1. Tulsa's actually pretty good overall at 11-4, but they're 1-1 in conference. But when you're playing that many games in that many days, describe for the fans how difficult that is when you start hitting the grind because by this point UCF is going to start hitting that conference grind with all those games in all that time and the weird start times too right yeah you know that conference season it it does become a grind you know but I, I think what's really unique about this UCF team is you know what they've gone through the last two years as far as the injuries and the adversity that they've faced um I think they probably feel like they're fully loaded, you know, so it, it can be tough. Obviously you're traveling from traveling from place to place. Um, a lot of times you're flying commercial, which what that means to, to the fan is, you know, you, you're, you're sitting there getting to the airport two hours early. You may have a connecting flight. You may be taking a bus to a city like Wichita or Tulsa. The trips aren't easy. It's not like you're, you know, hopping on a plane and going to Atlanta and you know, the, the gym's 20 minutes from the airport. Some of these trips are funky, and they can, you know, take a toll on you as far as just really got to lock in and take care of yourself. But I do feel that because UCF's gone through the adversity they have with injuries, they got to feel good about their depth because this is where the depth comes in. You know, depth is a nice thing to say, like, oh yeah, we had a deep team, we got plenty of guys that can play. It's like, okay, that's great, but usually we play seven or eight, and we have a rotation. But this is where if you can take care of business um, at home, especially and get some guys some breaks, you know, play them reasonable minutes. You know, guys like B.J. Taylor, maybe they don't have to play 35, 38 minutes a game. Maybe you can get them down to 30. 
um, and just allow them to kind of bounce back each game. And, and I think they'll be better for it. And I think that's what you'll see them look to do. So, you know, we always said when you go into a conference season, the recipe for competing for a conference championship is you want to win at home and then hopefully split on the road. And the fact that they've done both so far puts them in a good position to just carry that momentum. Um, so that was always the mentality of a lot of teams that we were on is, is to go get some of those tough road games. But, man, home court, you really got to take care of business. And I think, you know, their home court, especially early on, is favorable. Taylor, I, I want to ask you, you know, we got East Carolina coming up on Sunday. And the casual fan looks at it and like, ah, oh, well, East Carolina's been a bottom team in the conference and things like that. They've got a new head coach, Joel Dooley, who did a, who led Florida Gulf Coast to the NCAA tournament. They just knocked off Cincinnati. South Florida, who's been a bottom team in the second year under Brian Gregory, they've already knocked off UConn at home. I'm fascinated as from a player's perspective, or do you guys are how do you block off all that noise or, or that mindset of ah oh, well we're, we've beaten this team before and and and, and you know that oh well, we've got this and kind of avoid that because this league is gonna is really competitive and I think as we talked about when we had you on earlier in the month, this league is top to bottom, I think much better than I think the national media thought going into the year. And I think some of the national media has actually picked up on that uh, since the start with the great play from Houston and UCF. And uh, even Cincinnati's played well at Temple and has, has played well and Tulsa's played well. I mean, top to bottom, this league is much more better uh, when you consider the fact you have a Wichita State team that's improving. Uh, what? How do a player mindset, how do you block all that off and stay focused and not take a game or an opponent lightly based on what it says on the jersey or best on past history? I think it's leadership in the locker room. And I think, you know, it depends on, on, on what your standard is. And, you know, the really good teams and great teams you know, have a standard that, that they hold themselves accountable by, a way they want to play, a uh, way they want to hold themselves, how hard they want to play. You've seen that with Coach Dawkins. I've said it since he's got here. Um, we've had some games where it felt like we couldn't put the ball in the hole. But there really hasn't been a game I could point to where everyone didn't come out and play really, really hard. And he's really done a good job of setting that tone. And so when you talk about a trap game or maybe it's not UConn or the jersey or whatever it may be, man, as long as you go out there and compete, that can be half the battle in those games. And so I would just look to say, hey, what, what is their standard? Are they trying to, you know, win the conference championship, which I believe they are? Or are they trying to be in the top four? And, and, and I, I believe this team's got very high hopes. And if you have high hopes and you have leadership in the locker room, you know, these they, how many, two, two fifth-year seniors, one, one senior, you have a lot of veteran guys that have been around and they've tasted getting close and not getting there or tasted the adversities and injuries have dealt them over the past couple of years. So I believe that that issue is going to be not a big deal compared to a team that's young and maybe really talented but hasn't been through the grind of a conference season. And the one thing that I always say when I watch games with people, now looking at it as a former player, is I had no idea how important each game was, you know, each possession was. And I think that perspective from some veteran guys really helps that locker room and, and throughout the, the conference season. Yeah, you know, because I always wondered, like, if you get into a thought of like, okay, well, we're playing ECU, you know, something like that, and and you're thinking, okay, well, we beat them before, like, and then you watch, and then you sit in the in the film room and you watch them on film, and you see a team that maybe you have, you know, taken it to in the past, and then it's like, oh wow, okay, this is a lot different. Have you ever had? Did you ever have a moment when you were a player when guys like sat up 
in the film room and we're like, okay, we got to pay attention to this now because this we thought they were this could be a relatively easy one, but this team's a threat now. Yeah, I mean, and you know, and and especially with guard play, you know, if you have good guard play, and you know, you can always get hot. And you know, I think when you talk about the film room specifically, you know, I always talk about the preparation going into a game. You know, it's like us as fans sit there and look at, okay, we're we're bigger than the other team, we're more talented than the other team, but. There's so much that goes into that as far as the scout, as far as which players can hurt you on which looks. And so how prepared you are um, will will ultimately determine how you defend their best players, how you'll defend in key moments when they try to hit you with a quick hitter out of the timeout, right? So, And I always gauge that perspective by watching a football game. Like say you take LSU-UCF, right? I'm as nervous as I could be as a fan watching it because – I wasn't in that locker room the last three weeks. I wasn't watching the film and the looks and seeing them on film. So uh, I think it's, it's, it's unique to the film room where you really say, hey, forget about the jersey. Let's look at the stuff that they run. Let's look at the players that can hurt us. And then let's build a plan to lock in to try to defend that um, and then also go out and execute offensively. Yeah, that's going to start with uh, ECU coming up. Because remember, like like Elo said, you know, eight and six, one and one in the league. Um, game at home Sunday uh, on the 4th after this eight-day break. And then, like we said, that's four games in 10 days, five in two weeks. So this is going to be a, a tough stretch um, coming up. You going to be on the mic on Sunday? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward Where to it. Where else is he going to be? Where else <laughs> is he going to be? Right? I'm, I'm, I'm getting the voice, voice warmed up right now, man. Everyone's got that holiday... Uh, you know, clearing their throat and cough, man. I got, I got uh, lemon, lemon chai tea right here talking to you guys. Chai tea, man. It's I got to write that down, man, because it's I, is that is that stuff caffeinated, man? It's it's nighttime, dude. It is, man. It's been a long, long good day, but yeah, you're you're correct. You're correct. Oof. All right. Well, hang in there, man. We appreciate you stopping by with us, as always, Taylor Young. Where can uh, UCF fans follow you for all the latest? Yeah, man. Um, you know, on Twitter, I'm just at Taylor B. Young. Um, you know, follow me, but I'm, I'm just a shadow of, of Mark Daniels, man. So more importantly, <laughs> follow UCF Mark Daniels. You're better off that way. All right, T.Y., thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it as always. I'll All see right. you on Sunday, man. See you guys. All right, thanks again to uh, T.Y. for joining us and uh, giving us a little bit of insight from within the team as they uh, as they roll on through the schedule. All right, let's flip over to the uh, women's side as Brian Murphy is back on board with us. And um, I feel like we're almost like shortchanging them a little bit because they actually have a better record than the men's team. They're thirteen and two, and they're off to a two and zero start in the um, in the American uh, and got their second ever win at the University of South Florida uh, on Tuesday, uh, sixty two to forty nine. Now, it's important to notice that USF is kind of scuffling right now because they lost Kitty Aloxa to uh, a season-ending knee injury. And so, they, and in addition to that, uh, Ferreira didn't play for them. So, they were shorthanded all the way around. But Crimea River, a win is a win. Um, the Importantly for UCF, again, once uh, another uh, solid game for KK Wright as she finished with 20 points. Um, to go with five rebounds, eight of 20 from the field. Um, and she's been taking the lion's share of the shots out here for Coach Abe's team. 
Uh, 10 points off the bench for Diamond Battles, though. She had an excellent game coming off the bench, including 4-4 at the line and 8 rebounds uh, for the backup guards. So, uh, in addition, UCF uh, held South Florida, and this seems kind of unbelievable when you look at it, but held South Florida to 16 of 57 from the field. The defense was spectacular. Uh, That's 28%. Uh, USF never shot better than 38% in any quarter. And in the second half, they were 6 of 28 from the field. 6 of 28 from the field for South Florida um, in the second half. They scored a grand total of 21 points after halftime, Eric Lopez. And we remember two years ago the first win at Tampa and how big of an event that was and how that was kind of the coming out party for Coach Abe. The way they handled this game was... And yes, I know about the injuries, but I don't care. Um, this was a pretty solid performance all the way around against a team that, oh, by the way, is still pretty talented in USF, no? Well, let's be fair. I mean, their point guard literally on the day of the game they came up ill. Ferrero's a senior, and so she didn't play... Obviously, their star two-time All-American Loxa is out for the year. I mean, they're 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 hurt. I mean, they're banged up. They're not the same South Florida team that they were a couple years ago. That being said, you still got to go in that environment. They have a good environment there. They they support the women's basketball program over there, and you knew that was going to be a battle. They're well coached with Jose Fernandez, and I thought, to me, UCF took advantage of that. They wore them down. It was a tight back and forth game through for the first three quarters, and then UCF just kind of pulled away in the fourth quarter with their defense and their depth. And that's the story of this team. They have depth. They have uh, defense, which they've always had since Coach a- uh, Coach uh, Abe has been here. And now they've got some punch. KK is playing at a very high level. And to me, UCF right now is clearly the second-best team in the American behind UConn. And I think you know, I think South Florida, you know, I, I don't know if they can – You know, I think they're in kind of trouble with their injuries. I don't know if they can recover. They'll still be competitive, obviously, but – you know, maybe Houston and Tulane could be threats to UCF, but I think UCF's the clear second team. And each day that each win they get past, as long as they kind of stay focused, I think they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. And I think the question becomes not will this team make the NCAA tournament because I think their RPI, and you can double check, Jeff, is somewhere in that nineteen to twenty-five range. It changes daily. But. Well, uh, UConn is the top American team in the RPI, obviously, but they're number six, which seems incredibly low uh you know but which is well it's lower than what we're used to um ucf uh as of right now is uh 19th in the rpi i think that was as a monday right that is as of or through games yesterday so through games on tuesday okay good good so 19th so that's going to get you in the question now becomes i think if because i think this team is focused and locked in and then i think they could be a second place team is not can they make the NCAA tournament, but can they win a game in the NCAA tournament? Something that uh, this team has not done. You know, this team has been to the NCAA tournament as recent as 2011. Mm-hmm. It's not like they haven't been to the tournament, but they've never won a, a first-round game, at least not in a Division One era. But I think this team can win a game in the NCAA tournament, maybe two, depending on the draw, which has never happened before with this program. And I think this team has a legitimate shot to not just make the tournament, but make some noise, by the way. First time, and this was a great, amazing stat when I saw this by uh, on social media when they announced this, they picked up their first ever vote in the top 25 in the history of the program in Division One era. Yeah. That's first wild. time ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's – I mean, they, they've – like you said, they've won conference championships before, but not at this level. 
And uh, and in addition, now I'm a little bit surprised also because obviously we know about UConn. We know how good they are. I mean, they throttle everything in sight. UCF, obviously, clearly the number two team, especially if you look at the RPI with that ranking in the teens. But that this is the part that kind of frightens me a little bit about the American in terms of women's basketball this year. I mentioned UConn 6, UCF 19. The third best American Athletic Conference team in the RPI. Care to guess who they are and where they're ranked in the RPI? I believe I believe it's Tulane, right? Like in it the is 70s? Tulane in 75. Yeah. 75. Yeah. That's, well, the thing that hurts the league is South Florida being down with the injuries. That hurts them. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that, By the way, their South RPI Florida is 149. That's the lowest I've seen it in a long time. Yeah. I mean, the injuries have kind of hurt them there. They have some losses they shouldn't have. So you're right. The league is down. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, UCF is kind of the flagship team to try to get that second team in right now. Now, you know, you got to let the season play out. I think it's important for UCF to stay focused, right? Because we're, you know, everybody's going to pat them in the back for beating South Florida. Well, now you got Cincinnati coming in. They have a new coach uh, there. You got an early tip on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, don't, you know, don't fall asleep in these type of games. Don't trip up because you're right. And you make a good point. As much as I'm pumping them up right now, and I think they are an NCAA tournament team because I believe in the coaching staff and the depth of this team. But if you trip up a couple times in the league play and lose some games you shouldn't, you can play yourself into the bubble. You're absolutely correct on that, Jeff. Well, looking at the American right now, we have four teams that have started off 2-0, UConn, UCF, Tulane, and Tulsa. Um, ECU, by the way, and USF both have 10 overall wins but are 1-1 to start out. Um, Tulsa, interestingly enough, eight and seven, but two and zero in the league. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it's just a hard league to figure out, at least as of right now, because of it, it's funny how the fall of South Florida has kind of thrown things dr- pretty dramatically into flux. And let's give some credit to Tulane for um, for taking advantage of uh, of this sort of opening too. I think that that's going to be a really tough game for UCF when they get the chance to finally play them, which won't be until much later in the season, February 13th. Um, by the way, UCF's first big test against UConn doesn't happen until the end of the month, January 27th. So, um, But you mentioned Cincinnati. who's coming in, uh, un- coming into CFE Arena on Sunday, uh, the 13th at noon. That game's on ESPNU. Also, uh, the Knights have their next three games at home, I should mention. Uh, also, Wednesday, January 16th at 6 p.m. against Tulsa at the Arena. And Saturday, January nineteenth, against SMU coming up. Got to win your home games. Got to win your home yeah. games and, and take advantage. And by the way, the women's, the American Conference, ninth rated. Uh, so they're definitely. Ooh, that's down. rough. Who's who, obviously the, the 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 big conferences? But who's who else is ahead of the American and women's? Uh, right I, now? I can in the women's basketball. I could tell you that right now. I could tell you obviously number one is the ACC, yeah. followed by the Pac-12. So Pac-12 is good at something, boys. Hey, hey. All right. All right. Hey, Big 12 is number three. The Big 10 is four. Big East is five. The SEC is six. No surprises there. Here's the concern. The West Coast Conference is number seven, and the MAC is number eight. Remember, the MAC has Buffalo, who's good, and they have Central Michigan, who beat UCF earlier this year. They're good as well. The MAC has kind of been good the last couple of years in women's basketball, so uh, that's where the American is behind. They're slightly ahead right now. They are comfortably ahead of the Mountain West for the ninth spot. Yeah, you know it's interesting. You mentioned the universe uh, or the uh, the West Coast Conference because, if I'm not mistaken, um, Pacific yeah Pacific is in that uh, league, and they came into. Um, UCF and UCF really throttled them good, but 
they play an interesting brand of basketball out west uh, on the women's side, which is um, you can tell it's just a, a much more higher pace game. But UCF was able to take care of that pretty solidly. So I, I, I'm actually I, I'm actually pretty encouraged to see what we have at least as of right now um, for Coach Abe and this team. Um, right. Oh, go ahead. You're right. And I was going to say, here's the resume. Something to keep in mind with UCF. Pittsburgh's having a decent year. Their RPI is in the 80s mm-hmm. uh, going in. That Central Michigan, even though they lost, that was on the road. That's a quality loss. They beat Villanova, if you remember. They beat them on the, the two days after Black Friday. They beat right. Villanova. Villanova is 10-4. and four. They're in the 30s RPI-wise. That's a that's a great win. You mentioned Pacific. That's a good win at home there. Pacific is 53 RPI. Uh, Syracuse, oh, that was – Oh, they would have had the Syracuse game, Jeffrey. They were number Syracuse thirteen and two, number five yeah. RPI. UCF had them. It was a. It could have gone either way there, um, in there. And that that boy, if they would have had that one, I would really feel good about it. You're right. Though. That game was you tied. The, that game was tied down the stretch, and yeah. Syracuse ended up winning by five out in St. Pete. That that one kind of gets back, and you're like, oh man, that that was a missed opportunity. Anyway, go ahead. No, oh, you're right. One hundred percent correct. So. Yeah. Uh, Quinnipiac was a nice win on the row. Hope you're hoping that Quinnipiac has a big uh, conference year and dominates there. But you're right. The concern is Cincinnati's in the 130s, Tulsa 140s, SMU's disappointing in the 200s going in, ECU 180s. You're right. I mean, now, in a weird way, playing UConn twice helps you. It sounds yeah. weird to say that because you're like, oh, geez, what do you mean? We're, you know, what if they lose twice? Well, RPI-wise, that's a good thing. Right. You're you getting get credit twice. for them twice. Yeah. And, and in previous years – um, UCF has, I think, played them only once. Um, Correct. So, and I think, I think last year they only played them once. So, I, I, so that I, is actually a big help. And I'm, I'm curious. You know, they've given UConn fits, especially when they've played in uh, at UCF because they can defend mm-hmm. and they don't make things easy. And they play a half court style. They slowed the game down against UConn. Remember last year I was at the game. Uh, they held them to like fifty some points. It was like a fifty five thirty seven final, something like that. Yeah, very low scoring game. So, and I think this is a better version of UCF. And as strange as this sounds, this is not UConn's best team. Don't, don't get me wrong; they're still a Final Four team. But they, this is not this is not the UConn from a couple years ago. They just steamrolled everybody mm-hmm. um, by their standards. Quote they're a little. They look a little raw. They look a little raw, and they've lost the game. Uh, earlier this year at Baylor, they lost by um, 11, which broke their their 120 some game uh, regular season win streak. Um, the, uh, I, I mean, it's still obviously it's still UConn. I mean, we, we don't know. Yeah, what I don't want to make get. it sound like yeah, right. I'm not. I mean, but I'm just saying, like you know, I don't think it's impossible for UCF to give them a game. Is my point. That's all. right. No, I think you're right about that. I think you're right about it. So um, again, the three straight home games coming up. Uh, including the next one Sunday at noon uh, against Cincinnati, televised on ESPNU. Uh, a couple things I wanted to get back into uh, as well. So um, a little tiny bit of football news to um, pass along to you. Uh, as uh, Obviously, now that the Bulls are over, by the way, we wanted to uh, also, uh, <laughs> I loved what UCF football did on the Twitter account, and let's, let's give it up to Eric DeSalvo for... Uh, congratulating Clemson on being the only undefeated champion in twenty in twenty eighteen because uh, I think everyone was pretty intently watching the UCF football Twitter account during the national championship game, which uh, Clemson won and uh, and defeated Alabama pretty soundly. Uh, Josh Heupel was uh, named the Football Writers Association of America first year coach of the year. 
Um, so, uh, you know, not coach of the year, but first year coach of the year. But, hey, I mean, I thought he should have gotten more consideration for overall coach of the year. Um, let's uh, Now, a couple of things in terms of uh, guys leaving early. Obviously, Tristan Hill uh, announced that uh, he was leaving early, um, as did uh, Dredrick Snelson. Uh, as he's going to be uh, take, uh, taking him taking his wares to the NFL draft. However, we found out earlier just uh, today we're recording this on Wednesday, uh, Brian Murphy, that your boy Neville Clark is uh, sticking around one more year. So uh, at least we have that going for us. Which is uh, any of those surprising uh, to any extent? Uh, I thought I thought Neville would leave. Uh, those were the three whom I thought would leave as far as non seniors. Uh, Tristan, Dredrick, and Navelle. Uh, it didn't surprise me at all when Tristan announced it uh, really right after the bowl game. It didn't surprise me when Dredrick Almost before it. he got back into the locker room that came. <laughs> it, was, it was not well-timed. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Dredrick uh, announced uh, on Sunday. Again, not surprising. I thought he would go. And I thought Navelle would go kind of for the same reasons as Dredrick of you've been – the part of this team for two years in which they go undefeated, win a national championship, and then go undefeated again in the regular season, win another conference championship, and then lose in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, and, and, and being a starter for both of those years and, and playing well, pretty well, uh, and then also getting his degree. He graduated in December. Uh, after that, I don't know what else you, you to yourself have to really prove to yourself, but in college – it only lasts four years, so you might, you might as well, I guess, for some, uh, get as much as you can out of it while you can, because it, it's, it, when it's over, it's over. And so I think that's what's really drawing Navelle back. Um, you know, his dad Norman's very active on Twitter, and so very much so, <laughs> uh, very active, uh, and we like that. And I yeah. like Navelle. I like that Navelle's coming back because he he likes to talk, yeah. and as and a person in my position, that's a lot of fun. Uh, but you know. Norman was uh, responding to people on Twitter saying, you know, people, some people were some UCF fans were saying, you know, it's good that he's coming back. He can help his draft stock, you know, after a good senior year. And Norman was saying that uh, that Navelle, Navelle coming back has nothing to do with him trying to improve his draft stock, although coming back alone will automatically improve it. Basically saying that uh, that the NFL draft was of no consideration when he decided to come back. Uh, you know, believe that or not, if you say that that's what the decision was made was based around, maybe Navelle comes back because just because he loves this university and loves this team, wants to wants to play out one more year. Yeah. I I, I kind of get that. It just felt to me that he had proven everything he really needed to prove over the last two years. He had gotten his degree. Uh, it seemed like now would be a, a good time to go. Uh, but having him back, uh, as I've written on the site, you can go check out the little small article I wrote about this on blackandgoldbanner.com. Uh, it's pretty big for the UCF uh, defense uh, now which now is going to bring back uh, three quarters of its starting secondary uh, for next season you still have both your starting corners in uh, uh, Nabal Clark and then Brandon Moore will be a junior you'll have standout safety Richie Grant who will be a junior and then you, I assume that Antoine Collier uh, would, would be your likely starter filling in for the departed uh, Kyle Gibson and then yeah. and, and, uh, Antoine will be a junior so it's a, it's 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 a it's a, I guess, if nothing else, it's good for UCF's defense to have him back for another year, another year of familiarity uh, with a unit that played uh, pretty well all season. 
certainly there were some rough spots. Even for Novell, there were some rough spots. Uh, you know, he gambles a lot for picks, and that can leave him on an island getting burned. But uh, for overall, that unit was very solid for UCF. Yeah, and looking at that, another good piece that we have also on the site that we that we mentioned that I want to mention, Luke Saris actually went back through the entire lineup and he wrote up the way too early starting lineup for UCF for 2019. And just looking at unit by unit, it feels like that secondary is probably the best single unit on the whole team when you add it. Now that Clark is coming back with Collier, Grant, and more, I mean that's. That's a pretty solid group coming back. I, I, yeah. You know, maybe aside from perhaps the running backs, I, I would say that's that 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 looks like you're really really your best po- uh, unit coming in. Um, there's a lot, and there's a there's a lot of people raving about Antoine Collier, what he can do. It's funny is that you know we've seen Antoine Collier uh, each of the last two seasons, but really his biggest stage or when you've noticed him has been on both bowl games he yeah. filled in for Kyle yeah. Gibson after after Kyle Gibson was was ejected in the Peach Bowl and got the game game ceiling pick and then he filled in for Kyle Gibson when he was ejected again in the Fiesta Bowl <laughs> otherwise we really haven't noticed Antoine but a lot of people really like him uh he's a hard hitter uh and, and as a safety he he he's a he's he's going to bring um I, I think just a some a ferocity. There's a yeah. there's a ferocity there that resides. Which also, we just need to pour one out for Kyle Gibson and his performance in bowl games. I mean, it's just the poor kid. Just can't, <laughs> he just can't stay in these games. Anyway, uh, all right. So we have that uh, going down. Any thoughts on uh, on uh, Snelson and Hill? Which I know you said was pretty expected. Well, you, you know, we touched on Hill, but Snelson. I think uh, I, I'm not surprised by it. Interesting when you go back and you look through the numbers, he never actually led UCF in receiving. Uh, he was second to Gabe Davis this year. Last year, obviously, he was second to Traquan Smith. But there's no doubting his talent. Um, at six feet tall, I feel like he might be a little on the short side for the NFL. But uh, and I'm sure well, we'll a, have. He's a slot receiver. Yeah, he says I, he's a slot receiver all through and through. I think he was probably been aside from Traquan Smith the most NFL-ready player that UCF has had on its roster in the last two years. I really do believe that, just based on his skill set and what he could do. And and obviously talking about him from that, you know, having him in that slot position, um, he could be a really valuable asset for some teams. So I'm looking forward to seeing where he actually ends up uh, coming in. And you know who else I'm sure is looking forward to it is Zach Goodall because he gets to break all these guys down. I'm sure he will in the next uh, in the next few uh, months for us. Are, are there any other guys that we're kind of keeping an eye on at least here as of right now? But or or does that look to be it in terms of declarations? Yeah, I mean, unless I'm totally blanking on someone, unless Richie Grant, as a redshirt sophomore, really wants to surprise all of us. <laughs> uh, no, I, I wouldn't. No, no one else should be coming okay. out as a as a non senior. Now, now, uh, in addition, now this is the last thing I also want to touch on from a football perspective is that the the rumors circling around about a quarterback transferring in to UCF, and well, we could probably have a debate about this. I don't know, but um, there's been a lot of smoke, very little fire. Um, regarding a number of different players uh, possibly transferring to UCF with the injury to uh, Mackenzie Milton, obviously. I'm I'm not 
all that sold on UCF actually coming in with a, a transfer quarterback after you know you you rode with Daryl Mack, you won the conference championship. I know he struggled in the um, in the bowl game, but it was his third career start. You have a whole nother off season. Milton's going to be there more or less, uh, more or less tutoring him as kind of like a an informal quarterback coach. Um, and Mac seems to fit the bill for exactly what um, what Josh Heupel wants to do with his offense. Is I, I don't know what is your read on this, Brian? Because I, I you know there have been there was rumors about Jalen Hurts, there was rumors about DeAndre Francois. Florida State. Um, there were you know, Justin Fields was being talked about for about five minutes. Um, the, kid, the kid from Georgia who ended up going in, to we Ohio know they State. Were in on, we we know they were in on Kelly Bryant before yeah. he committed elsewhere. Um, they were they were in on the kid who committed to FSU, I believe. Uh, yeah, the, the kid the from Travis Louisville. Kid. Tra- yeah, yeah, Jordan Travis. Yeah. But uh, do do you see this? Do you see this happening? It, it, is it, I I just don't. Am I wrong? Uh, well, I can't say you're wrong. I mean, it certainly looks like you're going to end up being on the right side here as time ticks by. I mean, we are uh, not that far away from spring practice. I would just, you know, knowing that UCF has been involved in the market uh, for a transfer quarterback and that, that I just can't really see them all of a sudden after, you know, two the last two games from Daryl Mack saying, you know what, we're totally good staying with what we've got, which is Daryl. And his limited starting experience, and 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 Dylan Gabriel and Quadra Jones, right. uh, who basically are two guys who are entirely green at the college level. Um, I just thought they would. I, I still believe that it would be best for this team to bring in someone uh, to give to give uh, Mac competition, someone who is who has played the game at this level uh, for a year or two and has been a starter. But the two things there that you, you got to consider is one. If you have someone transfer in without the guarantee that he is going to start, then why would he transfer to UCF? Exactly. And then two, uh, if you have someone transfer in, do you not at all alienate Daryl Mack after he, you know, brought you back? At least, at the very least, he brought you back and won you the AAC title uh, this year because yeah. of that game against. I think the first point is probably the one where is where I come down on it. is. If you're a if you're in the transfer market, or even if you're like a graduate transfer, right? You're trying to go somewhere where you're going to increase your stock. So I, if I was in that position, I would want to go to a place where I was guaranteed a starting job. Now I know that obviously you can't really guarantee anything to anybody well, because let, let me, you know you never know what happens in summer camp. But but like that's it, with Daryl Mack there after the after the conference championship and. What they and basically what they were able to do with Mac this year—that's not a guarantee at all. Go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, I don't think you bring. I don't think a quarter. I, I, let me say this: I think a court, they will bring in a transfer, but I don't mm. think it's necessarily to be guaranteed a starter. Let me ask you this: because you were around the program when Brett Hodges transferred from Wake Forest, did anybody have expectations of him starting? Probably not, right? I mean, no, he but, but he wasn't. But also, strangely enough, like Brett Hodges at the time when he was brought in wasn't a high profile transfer. Now he did go to Winter Springs High School and he did start for a time at Wake Forest, but when he came in it was kind of like an afterthought. And the reason why part of the reason why he came here was because he was he had graduated from Wake Forest and he was starting the sports management degree. And 
that's what UCF had. And he was like, all right, I'll come home, start my, start my graduate right. program. And Hey, I'll get, you know, I'll get a scholarship out of it. And then all of a sudden midway through the season, he was starting for a team that was going to a bowl game. Um, none of the guys that we've heard mentioned for UCF are kind of in well, that position are, are no under the, what's going on. Yeah. Are, are under, none of those guys are that under the radar. No, no. So. And I, and that's my point. I, I think they will bring somebody in, but it's not going to be any of the names that have been heard. Like, I laugh when people brought up Justin Fields because it was mentioned in the story, hey, you know, UCF could also be in the mix. Well, well, of course it is. I mean, players are going to mention a bunch of schools, but I I mean, nobody in there, nobody would have predicted, nobody would have said, oh, yeah, he's not, he has a shot to come to UCF. It's not going to happen. I don't see Jalen Hurts coming. Uh, the Francois thing was laughable. He just announced he's coming back to Florida State. I think those are just fans kind of. There's also the Wimbush kid than- out of Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I just don't see any of that. I really don't. Um, I don't even know if any of those really fit. Uh, I, I think it's they're going to bring somebody in because – here's why, Jeff. Because of just numbers-wise. You know, even if you believe that Daryl Mack's your guy, what happens if something happens to him? Now what? Now you've got a bunch of true, you know, freshmen with no experience backing him up. Mm-hmm. So – yeah. I think from a number How comfortable are yeah. you with Dil- with starting Dylan Gabriel which you know hey yeah. they started Mackenzie Milton as a freshman about a one third of the, about a quarter of the way through the year Oh Jeremy who was it was Jeremy last time we were on that was very confident Yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah but I don't think I don't think if you're a coaching staff you can never have enough bodies right and I think that they will bring somebody in who that is remains to be seen and I don't think just cuz they bring somebody in that means that you know Max going to start or not going to start um you just, I think they just want to get another body in there, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I just don't see it being any of the names that pe- the fans have brought up already. I think that's just fans' wishful thinking uh, on that deal. So, and I don't think it's necessary because I agree with you. I, you know, sometimes that could backfire on you if you bring in a kid like uh, Jalen Hurts, who quite frankly is going to transfer somewhere where he knows he's going to start. Like you're not uh, right. You're going to promise yeah. you I'm going to start. I right? type of deal. Um, and that could sometimes backfire on you. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't see UCF going in that route unless, um, you know, somebody, you know, just it's a it's a no brainer where you're like, well, obviously you have to take that. I don't see that. I think they I'm not you know, I'm not saying it's a Brett Hodges type, Jeff, but I'm saying they're going to bring somebody like that where it's somebody like, oh, OK, they brought this guy in and maybe he can compete. Maybe he's, he's just trying to find another opportunity, maybe a different degree. Maybe at, at the other place he felt that he had a this he has a better chance to compete here than he did at the previous place or whatever. Um I think they will. Find, I think somebody will be coming to UCF just from a number standpoint. Do we have? Are there are there any guys out there that might fit that profile that you know of? Well, I don't have was, a I don't have a log into the portal system. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, uh, yeah, no, I mean like if there was anybody then. who was you know who was a senior who who maybe has or, or was a or was a junior had an extra year of eligibility or something. Like that. I wasn't sure if maybe there was there was something that may have been out there. I. I all right. Well, let me ask you this then. Uh, and Eric, I'll start with you, and then we'll go rapid fire quickly over to Brian. Um, what's the percentage chance that you guys think UCF brings in a senior uh, or, or brings in a, a transfer quarterback? You want to go first, Eric? I, yeah, well, go ahead. I'll, I'll go first. I think it's like I think it's like sixty percent. Okay, like it's better than just because again numbers game. I, that's my that's really my entire argument is like. There's no one behind Mac that you trust, really. You know, and you'd like, and you know what? If Mac, you'd like to see Mac if he if he wants to keep the job, he can go win it. He mm-hmm. can go win it. What about you, Eric? I think it's I think it's like an eighty percent chance. I really eighty percent. Okay, mm-hmm. hmm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that this is my this is kind of like the last 
last word on this before we get out of here, but I think there's a possibility that the reason why these rumors are out there is they want to see what maybe Daryl Mack does over the offseason. Does he... Does he prepare for 2019 like he is going to be the starter? Does he work on improving the things that were shortcomings in his game this past year in the way that Mackenzie Milton did between his true freshman and his true sophomore years? We saw the dramatic improvement that he made um, after the Cure Bowl loss to uh, Arkansas State. Uh, and are they just trying to kind of make sure that there's a little bit of a fire lit, lit underneath his uh, his behind or uh, you know, are they are they really in the market for somebody? I don't know. I, it's it's kind of hard. It's so hard to say because you don't know any conversation that it may have been that that may have been happened. You know, phone calls or whatever that may have, that may have taken place. But I don't know. I think I think they're set. I think it's actually less than fifty. percent I think it's forty percent. Oh, I disagree. I, I don't see them going with like freshmen there with no experience. I don't unless they are in like. But, in but they're not. They have a redshirt sophomore. They have a redshirt sophomore who's coming back. And and if and if that's not the case, I mean, we know Josh Heupel went all in on trying to get Dylan Gabriel out here, you know. So if that's the case, you know, if he's your guy, then go with your guy, go with the quarterback of the future, right? But again, again, though, it doesn't hurt you to bring in another guy. What's the harm? May the best. Well, guy no, I, well, no, it doesn't. Well, well, it could hurt you. <laughs> uh, it, it could hurt well, you I, in well, terms I, of again, in terms I, of what I, does I, that I, do I'm to Daryl Matt? I don't think it's going to be a high profile guy. That's all I'm saying. So I'm not in that camp. I'm just saying, like I, I actually That's found fair. a site. I'm sick. I, I found, uh, for example, um, here's a. There, I found this site. It's gradtransfertracker.com. This is great. We got grad transfer tra- potential for 2019. So we actually have a list of football players that could be potentially a grad transfer. Okay. Ooh, all right. So here's some the right now. they've listed. All got right. it? There you go. I know, Murph, you've got it bookmarked. Okay. Uh, J.C. Robles of Colorado State is listed on this. He's a quarterback. Chance Thrasher of Coastal Carolina. Uh, Solid Jackson, name. Jackson Tyner <laughs> of Rice uh, is a quarterback that's listed on this. DeAndre Johnson was the former FSU kid. He's the FAU quarterback. Uh, London Johnson of Charleston Southern quarterback. Uh, ben, ben Hicks at SMU. SMU. Uh-huh. Trans- Brett, yeah, he's transferring. Brett Keen from USF, yeah, although USF. I don't think there's two USF quarterbacks. All oh, yeah. USF quarterbacks. Yeah, the entire <laughs> the entire USF quarterback contingent. Because Chris Oladokun, who started the game against US against UCF, yeah. um, so, you we talked about Wimbush. Yeah, yeah, I could see some of those guys. Maybe not the USF guys, but some of those uh, guys I've mentioned uh, as a possibility, uh, an under the radar so. guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I just think that's kind of what I think will end up here. I don't see a Jalen Hurts coming here. I don't, you know, I, there's too many other good options there. Uh, Brandon, I, I just don't see it. And, um, you know, to be honest, like a Brandon Wimbush, Wimbush can't throw the football. So I think Mac has more <laughs> upside than a Wimbush. And if you're, you know, I, I think he would beat out a Wimbush. I mean, in, in my opinion. Uh, so I don't, if you're a Wimbush, why would you come here? I don't think that fits. Um, I think he's better off going somewhere else. So yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I, I'm, I think they'll bring somebody in. It's just not going to be a high-profile guy. That's just my gut, my opinion on that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll be keeping an eye. On it. Is there a deadline, by the way, Brian? Do you know? I do not know of the deadline. I'm sure there is, but on the spot, I don't know. All right. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. But anyway, um, I'm sure you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be keep, we'll be keeping an eye on it because I would imagine that we would probably probably find out sooner rather than later considering that the spring semester actually just started on uh 
to start it on Monday. So, all right, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up. So we talked about some of the things we've been working on um, this week. Brian's been uh, all over it, getting uh, getting the word uh, getting the word out on um, on Neville Clark. Uh, I had a couple stories actually out there that I wanted to. Um, direct uh, people to well, Luke Saris also, also has his 2018 UCF football team awards out, um, where uh, which I thought was really really cool, nicely done. First time we've ever done that, so thanks to Luke on that. Uh, I had a quick little write up on the UCF ice hockey club team beating USF four to three in a game at the Amway Center. It's a special uh, occasion after a Solar Bears game, and uh, UCF ice hockey is obviously a club team. Um, so they don't compete in the NCAA or any of that. They, uh, they, the players basically foot the bill for their own equipment and playing all that. And they played USF at uh, at Amway, which was really cool to see that take place on that stage. And it was really nice of the Solar Bears also to uh, let those guys have that stage. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and, uh, and of course, Luke's uh, way too early look at the 2019 uh, starters. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, Brian, what else do you have coming up? Well, I'll be at the uh, UCF men's basketball game on Sunday against ECU. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, I will really try to get out this. It seems like a good time for a Aubrey Dawkins story uh, because he, I agree. he's the player of the week in conference. And people, people, he's, he's, you know, I think it was John Rothstein from CBS Sports said that Aubrey Dawkins is the best player that no one's paying attention to or something like that. Um, so now it seemed to be a good time to get out an Aubrey Dawkins story, and I uh, I have one, uh, and so I will uh, I will write that up and uh, get that out sometime before uh, before Sunday's game. How about you, Elo? What you got coming up? Well, first of all, I am glad that we have not talked about the UCF's final rankings in the polls. Thank God people have no have not flipped out about eleventh eleventh in the AP, oh, but whatever. They're only eleven. 12th and the other, whatever. Thank goodness. <laughs> 12th in the coaches? Uh, for that. I didn't even see when the coaches came out. 12th in the coaches. But I'm not I'm yeah. not talking about disrespect on that because, you know what, I, I had a write-up on the uh, – sorry to sorry to derail us, but I had a, a, a write-up on the banner about how, you know what, I am not sad about how this season finished out at all because a lot of points were proven. And uh, if you want to take a look at that, I wanted to thank, by the way, everybody. I've gotten some – Really good feedback from a lot of uh, folks out there about this, so I, I really appreciate. It. I just wanted to put that down at some of those thoughts out there, and um, and I really appreciate a lot of the feedback. But uh, but yeah, you're Eric, you're right about that, Eric Lopez. Eric, the real question is, what do you think about the preseason ranking of 14? Do you think that's you think that's good? Yeah, it's fair. I think that's where they'll be, 14 to 18, and uh, you know we'll see what happens next year. Uh, that'll be interesting. In honor, be in, ranked. In honor of our you boy uh, Neville in, Clark. In all seriousness. I think UCF now becomes just another program that's ranked in the top 25. I don't think you're going to get out of any hoopla anymore because I think they're going to be ranked in the 15 to 20. I don't think there's going to be any yelling or any of that stuff. I really don't. I think it's done. Um, the time, you know, everything's, you know, everybody's got their what they wanted out of it. I think they'll be ranked in the preseason 15 to 20. We're going to have a, a normal, quiet year where they try to win. We try to win a conference, try to win a division, normal try quiet. to get to New Year's Six. Normal, quiet and, year. <laughs> no, I really UCF do. Twitter I mean, Mafia is going to make sure that we don't have like, any quiet years, man. Well, Let me tell you. <laughs> I'm just telling you that the national media, I don't think, will. They'll pay attention, but they won't pay attention at the same time. So. Uh, I think they'll move on to another storyline. But I'm, you know what, Paul, I'm excited about? Okay. I am excited because I want to feed Murph his appetite for college baseball starting a month from now. Oh, boy. And we got the 
one of my favorites, Perfect Games came out with their top 25 preseason poll. Mm-hmm. Right? And I want Murph's reaction here. LSU's number one in that, whatever. Of mm-hmm. note, number nine is ranked is Florida. East Carolina is ranked 11th in this poll. They're always Florida's good. Florida's ranked 14. Auburn, who comes to UCF, is ranked 15th. UConn is ranked 20th. These are all teams in UCF Ooh. schedule, Mr. Murphy. Hmm. UConn ranked 20. Uh, yeah. I would I would not have guessed that after after uh, after last season, but uh, no, it makes I sense. Just, I think UC yeah. I think UCF will be sort of on the outskirts of that sort of, but not like way on the outskirts. Like that, you know, I think to like to start the season, if you had to go nationally, UCF's probably somewhere in like the 40 to 50 range. I think. Okay. I, I, I'm I'm a lot less surprised about the UConn rank. Uh, that's yeah. a that's a solid program. I, I, I now, obviously, well, they had <laughs> there's a, a little bit of legacy. Hosted a regional. They had a great year last year. It wasn't like an aberration. They had a great year. They just couldn't host uh, because, and some people think because of the facilities. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not all that. I'm I'm not surprised all that much about uh, about UConn in general. Uh, UCF has something to prove this year, though, Murph, don't they? Oh, well, I, I will bring this up with Coach Lovelady. I think when you look at all the programs around the university and the success basically across the department that we have chronicled uh, over the past year and how, you know, this team is not made to the NCAA tournament and they, they, it's about time they do so. Uh, There is some pressure uh, not only within this program, but when you look at the school wide of of keeping, keeping this train rolling, uh, there's gotta be some pressure being felt uh, by this, by this team to, to, to live up to the expectations that every other program has set. Cause we talked about all the fall sports doing well, and mm-hmm. and you know softball and and, and soccer's and volleyball. So yeah, now it's baseball and ba- you know obviously both basketball. So now it's baseball's turn, and they they do they do need to make the I would say they need to make the tournament this year. Whether they can, uh, there's a lot of questions there, especially on the pitching side of it. Uh, whether they have the pieces to go do it, but we'll see. You never know. We will have a full preview of UCF baseball uh, at some point. Uh, <laughs> next month, <laughs> right. I'm sure. So make sure you follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com for all the latest. Again, we are UCF's, uh, the home for UCF Nights News on the SB Nation um, network. Once again, thanks to uh, Taylor Young for joining us uh, on the podcast uh, earlier. Make sure you follow him at Taylor B. Young and listen to uh, he and Mark calling UCF men's basketball. Also want to thank Sam Munger again for his uh for his support, uh, as always, uh, we can't do it without Sam um, to, uh, backing us up on uh, on a lot of things. Uh, make sure you follow us, obviously, at blackandgoldbanneret.com, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Brian Murphy at... Oh, come on. Just say the name, Jeff. Spokes underscore Murphy... On Twitter, you can follow Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo. I'm See? still kind of stunned. Uh, Eric Lopez Elo. I'm still stunned, by the way. The UCF softball is picked fifth in the American Conference. I'm still, I'm still speechless. That's why I've not even reacted to that yet. We, <laughs> first of all, thank you for thank you for fulfilling the uh, Twitter handle thing. I like to get you guys at least a little bit more airtime before we go, and uh, we want to thank you, the fans, as well. Uh, for joining us, uh, make sure you follow us as well. Like we said, uh, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. For Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. <laughs>